Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for accepting our invitation for this Bible study and reflection on September 13th, 2023. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Merciful and gentle Lord, the crowning glory of all the saints, give us, your children, the gift of obedience, which is the beginning of wisdom, so that we may be filled with your mercy, and that what you command we may do by the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so our topic for today is obedience. This past Sunday, I led a session on this topic. The session lasted almost an hour and a half. Okay, I know, just I know what you're thinking, don't worry. This ain't going to be an hour and a half long, but it is going to be a little longer than usual. So the dictionary definition of obedience, compliance with an order, request, or law, or submission to another's authority. An example would be children were taught to show obedience to their parents. How about obedience to God? You know, it's really simple. We either are obedient to our creator God, or we are obedient to a lowercase g God that we create ourselves or society creates for us and we worship. Let's start by thinking of some of the characters in the Bible that were obedient to God, and there's a lot of them. <clears throat> Moses, Abraham, David, the woman at the well, Noah, Job, and we could continue naming characters in the Bible that were obedient to God. Well, guess what? They were also disobedient to God. You know, that kind of describes us, doesn't it? Let's look at a people group and check their obedience. Our next reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, and it is God's words being spoken by Moses to the Israelites. When we think of the commandments, I'm sure all of us can remember the Ten Commandments, or that, at least that's what pops into our mind. Did you know there were 603 other commandments known as the Mosaic Law because they came from God to Moses, and Moses shared them with the Israelites? 613 commandments. Pretty impossible, right? Well, hold that thought, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Here's a reading from Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 32 to 33, and chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. So be careful to do what the Lord your God commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Okay, let's back up to verse 33. Walk in obedience. Okay, so the Hebrew word means all, whole, everyone, everything, total, in all. That's what the word obedience means. And then in the same verse, there's a word that says that you may live and prosper. What do we Westerners think of when we hear the word prosper? Yep, money. It's a monetary prospering, if you will. It means good, useful, pleasing, and beautiful. Do you hear anything in there about money? Nope. This is how the prosperity gospel creeps in. And it's having qualities that make something useful and desirable so that you may be useful and desirable. Gives new meaning to that verse, doesn't it? And then when we get to verse 4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the word hear or listen is the Hebrew word shema. And I'm sure you've heard that before. This is a prayer that the devout Jews pray every single day. Now, I did a little search on the word obey in the Bible, and it occurs 211 times in 205 verses. The word obedient or obedience, 47 occurrences in 46 verses. And the word listen, and why I throw that in there, because obey and listen, shema, same word just different context. The word listen, 440 occurrences in 412 verses. So I would say those words are important. Now, active obedience is when we obey the commands of someone else. Passive obedience is the total submission to another, even when harm or suffering may result. The two concepts are very similar, but active obedience usually involves a performance of certain deeds while passive obedience implies non-resistance. In reference to God, active obedience is seeking out his commands and setting our hearts to do them. Passive obedience is the state of ongoing surrender that says, not my will, but yours be done. Luke twenty-two forty-two, when Jesus was praying, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus exemplified both active and passive obedience at all times during his ministry on earth. And Christians are to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to follow his example, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we're going to hear God's word spoken through Moses to the Israelites. And this, we already did, but this also sets a stage for obedience. This is in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 8. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord commanded him to speak. 
the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And you really know the rest of the story. They didn't do everything the Lord had commanded. Now, how was humanity released from the law? God required active obedience of the Israelites in the Old Testament. That active obedience was detailed and difficult. 613 laws, right? Because God wanted them to realize that they could not be righteous enough to deserve his mercy and his grace. You might say he was setting the stage for the entrance of his son, Jesus, who would fulfill every letter of the law. Matthew 5:17, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Paul, in his letter to Galatians, sums this up pretty well. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. Before the coming of this faith, that would be Jesus. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that his faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Are we obedient to Christ or are we obedient to earthly treasures and desires? Put yourself in the historical context of the Romans and what their pagan culture was like. Very difficult for them when Christ came and he was preaching and they were hearing what he was saying. Totally upside down kingdom for those guys. Our next reading is 2 John 6 verse 6, excuse me, Second John, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. An example of Christian obedience and unyielding faith in Jesus Christ. This story that you're about to hear is the earliest known account of a Christian martyrdom. Written about A.D. 156, within a year of the event it describes, it is an authentic eyewitness report of the heroic death of an elderly man named Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, today the city of Ishmir on the west coast of Turkey. He was part of the generation of church leaders who succeeded the apostles. According to one tradition, he was taught by the apostle John and was appointed to his office by the apostles themselves. We owe the account of Polycarp's death to the Christians of Smyrna, who wrote it up as a letter and circulated it to all the churches. No wonder they wanted to tell the world, Polycarp's character and personal relationship with the Lord shine out in this simple words. The apparent defeat of his death becomes a triumphant witness to the resurrection. His story also reveals tensions that were already building up throughout the Roman Empire as Christians rejected the gods, lowercase gods, and goddesses that everyone else was worshiping. The pagans called Christians atheists for the apparent lack of religious feeling. 
But as Polycarp made clear to a Roman official, the real atheists are those who don't worship the one true God. And the story opens a local persecution of Christians has, has been going on. Some of Smyrna's Christians have already been put to death, and search parties have been looking for the bishop, who had been persuaded to do the prudent thing and leave town. Someone has just tipped off the pursuers that Polycarp is hiding out at a farmhouse in the country. So the mounted police set out on a Friday about supper time. They carried their usual weapons as if they were advancing against a bandit. Late in the evening, they arrived to arrest Polycarp and found that he was resting upstairs. He could have escaped to another place, but decided to stay. God's will be done, he said. When Polycarp heard that the police were there, he went downstairs and talked with them. Everyone was amazed at his age and courage and wondered why there should be so much haste about arresting an old man like this. Despite the lateness of the hour, he had set a table for them to eat and drink as much as they desired. He asked them to give him an hour to pray undisturbed, and they agreed. So Polycarp stood and prayed out loud. He was so filled with the grace of God that for two hours he could not be silent. Those who listened were astounded, and many were sorry they had come to arrest such a venerable old man. When Polycarp had finished his prayer, after remembering everyone who had ever crossed his path, both small and great, high and low, and the whole Catholic Church throughout the world, the time came for him to leave. They set him on a donkey and led him into the city. Save yourself, the chief of police and his father said. As they were sitting beside him, they tried to persuade him to change his mind. What harm is there in saying Lord Caesar and offering sacrifice and saving yourself from death? At first, Polycarp did not answer them. But when they kept at it, he said, I am not going to do what you advise. Then they gave up trying to persuade him and began to make threats. They forced him out of the carriage so fast that he scraped his shin getting out. Without even turning around as though he had felt nothing, Polycarp walked on quickly and was taken to the noisy stadium. As he entered, a voice from heaven came to him. Be strong, Polycarp, and act like a man. No one saw the speaker, but our friends who were there heard the voice. Polycarp was brought before the proconsul. He also tried to persuade him to deny the faith. Respect your age, he said. Swear by the divine power of Caesar. Change your mind. Say, away with the atheist. But Polycarp, with a solemn look at the unruly mob in the stadium, pointed to them and looking up to heaven said, away with the atheist. The proconsul urged him harder. Take the oath and I'll let you go. Curse Christ. Eighty-six years I have served him, but he never did me any wrong, said Polycarp. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? When the proconsul kept insisting, swear by the divine power of Caesar, Polycarp answered, If you vainly suppose that I will swear by the divine power of Caesar, as you say, and if you pretend that you do not know who I am, listen plainly. I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn the Christian message, arrange a meeting and give me a hearing. I have wild animals, the proconsul said, 
I'll throw you to them unless you change your mind. Call them in, Polycarp replied, for we are not allowed to change from something better to something worse. Scorn the wild beast and I'll have you burned alive if you don't change your mind. Polycarp said, you threaten with fire that burns for a short time and is soon quenched. You don't know about the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. Polycarp radiated courage and joy and obedience as he said these and many other things. Not only did his face show no sign of distress, it was so full of grace that the proconsul was astonished and sent his herald into the middle of the arena three times to announce. Polycarp has declared that he is a Christian. At the herald's announcement, the whole crowd roared with wild anger and a loud cry. This is the father of the Christians, the destroyer of our gods, who teaches many to stop offering sacrifices to the gods. Shouting with one voice, they demanded that Polycarp be burned alive. This happened incredibly fast, faster than it takes to tell the story. The mob hurried to gather wood and kindling from the shops and bathhouses. When the pyre was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes, unfastened his belt, and tried to take it off his shoes. Immediately, they began to pile wood around him. They were going to nail him to the stake as well, but Polycarp said, Leave me the way I am. He who gives me power to endure the fire will help me to remain in the flames without moving, even without being secured by nails. So Polycarp put his hands behind him and was bound, like a noble ram out of a great flock ready for sacrifice. A burnt offering prepared and pleasing to God. Looking up to heaven, he said, Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and of all creation and of the whole family of the righteous who live before you. I bless you for considering me worthy of this day and hour of sharing with the martyrs in the cup of your Christ so as to share in resurrection to everlasting life of soul and body in the Holy Spirit. May I be received among them in your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. For this and for everything, I praise and glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Through him and with him, May you be glorified with the Holy Spirit both now and forever. Amen. When he had said this, amen, and finished his prayer, the men in charge of the fire lit it, and a great flame blazed up. We who were given the privilege to witness it saw a great miracle, and we have been kept alive so that we might report to others what happened. The fire took the shape of a vaulted room like a ship's sail filled with wind, and surrounded the body of the martyr like a wall. And he stood inside it, not as a burning flesh, but as a bread that is being baked, or as gold and silver being refined in a furnace. And we smelled a fragrant aroma, like the scent of incense or other costly spices. Seeing that his body could not be consumed by the fire, 
the lawless men finally commanded an executioner to go up and stab Polycarp with a dagger. When he did this, there came out a dove and so much blood that the fire was extinguished. This indeed was one of God's chosen ones, the amazing martyr Polycarp, an apostolic and prophetic teacher in our time, bishop of the Catholic Church in Smyrna. By his patient endurance, he overcame the devil and gained the crown of immortality. Now he rejoices with all the apostles and all the saints. He is glorifying God, the Father Almighty, and blessing our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Captain of our souls and bodies, and the Shepherd of the Catholic Church throughout the world. A couple of scriptures I'll end with here. Philippians 2, 8 through 13. Or excuse me, Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, so you remember the characters that were named in the Bible study in the beginning? You know, they proved to be both obedient and disobedient. So what do you think was missing? They needed an example of total 100% obedience and they needed to be forgiven for their disobedience. The Bible truly is a unified story that leads and points to Jesus. What's the best way or one of the best ways, probably the way, to be obedient to God, to love one another? Just as Jesus commanded us, it is in and through our love to others that we are obedient and thankful to Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, we must admit that we struggle to obey you. Just as you command children to obey their parents, you command your children to obey you. Help us to make wise decisions that honor you. Please grant us your grace and your spirit to empower us to obey you and do your will, so that we rest in you and trust you are working and regenerating our hearts. Please give us a hunger for your word so that our minds can be continually renewed to be able to say no to the world and yes to you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.